five chapters in chapter four, James is really getting to the heart of this question when he says, you guys are frustrated in your prayer life. That's really the the underlying question that he's answering here. He says, you're frustrated in your prayer life. Let me give you some insight. He said, first of all, you are not getting the things you're asking for and the things that you want, first of all, because you don't ask. Now, a couple weeks ago, we focused on that. You don't ask. You're basically prayerless. Now, I think the context indicates to us that it's not entirely true that they weren't asking anything. Because we find out they are praying, they have a wrong motivation, so they are asking, but they're not really asking, they're not really praying. And one of the ways I want to illustrate that this morning is just, I want to take you back to your childhood for a little bit. Do you remember when um, you went to see Santa Claus at the mall, you know, and and you sat on his knee and he said, what do you want Santa Claus to bring you for Christmas? Ho, ho, ho. You know, and so, and so you told him. How many of you walked away from that encounter and, and, you know, and you got back to your mom and your dad and they said, well, what'd you ask Santa Claus for? And he said, I don't know. I don't have any idea. Thank you, Ron. I was going to ask you to do that and I forgot. But I'll remember in about five minutes. <laughs> You know, kids are focused, aren't they? Did, 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 were you ever in doubt when, when you were raising your children, those of you that have gone through were you ever in doubt what they wanted for Christmas? How many times did you hear about it? I mean, it was a constant, you know? And there's no way a kid is going to crawl off Santa Claus's lap and not have any idea what he just asked for, you know? They know what they want. They're focused on what they want. Somebody on a cereal commercial pumped them up, and and they've got their keyed in, and they know what they want. And they let you know what they want, and they don't let it go. It starts somewhere about September, October, and it's just constant, like a tunnel vision, until Christmas morning. And oh boy, if that thing is not there, they know. James is basically saying, you're not praying like that. Now, that's a huge oversimplification, and God is not Santa Claus. But we we don't even have the fervency of a child who's focused when we pray. And that's what James is saying. You don't have because you're not really asking. You're you're going through a motion of prayer, but you walk away from the encounter, and how many of you know, half hour later, hour later, two days later, what it was you asked for when you were connected with God? If you don't know, you're not praying. You're just being religious. James says you don't have because you don't ask. But, you know, the other thing is, Man, there is no telling what kids are going to ask for for Christmas. Man. You know, and sometimes as a parent, it's like, I can never do that. (laughs) For a variety of reasons. James says the second reason that you're not satisfied with your prayer experience is 
you are asking with entirely wrong motives. You're all focused on you. You're all turned inward. And he said, when you go to pray, you're having trouble connecting with God and seeing results because you're wrapped up in what you want. And he gives three insights, three reasons that underlie that improper motivation that come out in this passage. He says, don't you realize that friendship with the world is the enemy of God? That's the first thing. Many times when we pray, we do not realize how closely allied we are with this world system. We're after worldly ends. Now, the minute I say that, most of us think materialism. Well, I'm after stuff. And I, and okay, I've heard that like 500,000 times. So don't tell me to stop praying for stuff because I, you know, I get that. But James is talking about something much bigger than just material things. He's talking about our prayers are often motivated by a worldly kind of mentality. Ron mentioned that we're going to general council this coming week in Louisville, Kentucky. Or if you're down from that part, it's Louisville. you got to get that all. As many syllables as some folks make out of words, Louisville kind of comes out just kind of a slur. But anyway... That's where we're headed. And when we go down there, we're going to go to the National Meeting of the Christian Missionary Alliance. And, and you would think this is the pinnacle of spirituality, right? All, all the super saints from all the churches are going to be gathered in, in Louisville. And we're going to have a meeting. And guess what? There is going to be a lot of this world system in that meeting. You know why I know that? Because some things are going to be happening that we commonly refer to as politics. And you know what politics is all about in the church or in the world? You know what politics is all about? Power and money. Who's got the resources and who can wield them? Power and money. And you know, whatever kind of brand we put on it, even the church gets caught up in politics because of personal agendas. I think I know best how to run this show, so let me be the boss. And, and we vie for that. And I'm going to see worldliness, not in everybody, but it will be there as a part of the ebb and flow of the life of this general council. There will be politics happening as much like the world as the presidential race this past year. And James is getting to the point that many times we go to God driven by agendas that if they could be boiled down to their fundamental element, what we're really looking for is influence, clout, some ability to change somebody else, some, some capacity to exercise power so that we can accomplish our goals we're very focused in worldly ways. So we don't even naturally know how to be any different. That's why God says, my ways are not your ways. And the way I think is not the way you think. It's, you need to come to me and learn of me and from my word to see what my goals are because I'm not on the same plane you're on. 
Now that doesn't put him out of reach. He's inviting us to come and learn of him and take from him and, and get his goals going. But the reality is, in the natural human condition, we are very driven by a worldly mindset. Secondly, he says, pride drives a lot of your praying. Pride is, in its essence, is being self-centered. We're all wrapped up in our own sense of importance. We're all wrapped up in what we want, what, what will satisfy us. And, and he says, this is actually leading among you to jealousy and, and, and contention and strife. There's quarrels. There's vying for one-upmanship. There's the desire to gain some kind of advantage. You're jealous of what someone else has. And these kinds of things are driving your prayer life. Don't hear me say that God is not interested in your needs. I have to keep coming back to this. Sometimes I wish you could preach the whole sermon at once, you know, but we'd be here till tomorrow, so that'll never happen. But sometimes I want to preach the whole sermon and get it all there in context, but I want to remind you that God is very interested in your needs. But Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, look, let's think about this for a moment. He says, do you see the lilies of the field? See how beautiful they are? One of my hobbies is, is taking photographs, and one of the subjects I love to photograph the most are flowers. And I was sitting out in my backyard Saturday morning, yesterday morning, you know, with my camera poked in the nose of a flower. And, man, when you get that thing back on your computer, and, you know, that, that, that flower that's about this big is now this big, you can see stuff like, oh, man. And, and God says, consider the lilies of the field. Look at them. Solomon never had arraignment. He never had a robe. He never had a clothing that looked like that. He couldn't. He ne- in all of his riches, he couldn't do that. And yet that flower is going to fade and be gone. He says, consider the birds of the air. That's probably my next favorite thing to take pictures of. It says, consider the birds of the air. Not even a sparrow falls without your father's knowledge. Not one of them. Every time one of them flies into my window, I think about that. God remembers every one of them. He saw that. Not a sparrow falls. And and Jesus said, If God so clothes the lilies of the field, if God cares for the birds of the air, if God, don't you think He cares about you? Don't you think He knows what you need even before you ask? Don't you think how much more valuable are you? So He says, God is very interested in you. But He says, I want you to take this away. Seek first His kingdom, His righteousness, His glory. Get your focus there where He is. Focus on Him. And as you focus on Him and put your attention there, 
He knows you have all these needs and all these other things will be added unto you. And it doesn't even mean that we're not supposed to ask. We're, we're fine asking. In the model prayer, Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, da-da-da-da-da, give us today our daily bread. So Jesus is not telling us, you don't, I don't want you asking. He's saying ask. Ask for what you need. But when you come to the Father, be focused on the kingdom, on His glory, on His righteousness, on His gold. Be focused there. Lay hold of those things. Make that your passion. And, and your Father, who knows what you need, will meet those needs. He's not disinterested. But friends, we get the cart before the horse, and many times in our prayer life, we are all about me. And, and we're not very focused on other people. So if the wrong motivation is, is a worldly mindset, is pride, is contentiousness and jealousy, what is the right motivation for prayer? And I want to su- suggest to you this morning that that right motivation is love. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, Paul writes, you don't have to look it up, very short verse, it says, now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Why is love the right motivation for praying? Well, look with me in Luke chapter 11. Very interesting passage of Scripture on prayer. Luke chapter 11. And in this passage, Jesus has been teaching on the subject of prayer. In fact, this is Luke's recording of one of the times that Jesus taught about the model prayer. And in Luke 11... I'll be there in a moment. Luke 11, verse 5, after teaching the model prayer, he says, by the way, I'm calling the Lord's Prayer the model prayer because it's not really Jesus' prayer. Jesus wouldn't be praying, forgive us our debts, our trespasses, as we forget. You know, he didn't have any. So this is, this is a model prayer. But in verse 5 he says, suppose, Luke eleven five. suppose one of you shall have a friend and shall go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, this guy will answer and say, don't bother me, man, the door's already been shut, my kids and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Jesus says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because of their friendship, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And I say to you, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. <clears throat> now, now, suppose again, one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Now, in this passage... There are two illustrations 
that had to do with prayer. And I want to connect the analogy here with the Father, with fatherhood, with parenting, because Jesus does this, and I think it's a legitimate connection. I want you to think about being a parent, or if you, if you aren't a parent, have parents, or think about a relationship that's very close to you. Think about this parent thing. Unless you're abusive, I can tell you from experience and just from knowing human nature, your desire is to bless your children. You know, maybe maybe you're a, a children's leader. Maybe you're a teacher. May, and, and you love kids. Don't you want to bless them? Don't you delight in blessing the children? You want the best for them. You always want to give them the best. There's nothing that gives me more joy than giving my children are grown. And I still love to give them something they enjoy. Sometimes it's just my blessing. I, you know, I just... My younger son Jonathan's up in northern Wisconsin this weekend, whitewater rafting. Maybe if they have white water, I don't know. But anyway, that's what he... <laughs> that was the plan. And, you know, and he didn't need a thing from me. Well, he did need a couple things, but he basically needed my blessing. And I longed for him to go and have a great time. I remember the times I went whitewater rafting. I wanted him to go and enjoy that. Man, go have fun. A lot of other things I wanted to say, but mm-hmm. I shut my mouth and talked to God about But I, I wanted him to go have fun. Go enjoy yourself. I want my kids to be blessed. The Father wants to bless us. I mean, Jesus is the one that says, if you being evil know how to do this, how much more? You know, so just make the connection. Just get it, you know, make the connection. God loves to bless you. He wants to to give you wonderful, good stuff. He really cares for you. Now then, but what happens in the home when the kids are fighting with each other? You know, and it's like, and, and they're and they're arguing and complaining, and and the the whole atmosphere of the home is in turmoil. What do you want to do then? You want to bless everybody and make? Oh, you want? I want to box heads, man. I want to. I want to just like. Now I'm joining the fracas. I, you know, it's like, come on. I'm not happy about that. Jesus is relating us to the Father in some very human terms. And He wants us to connect with God. James is the one who says, hey, look, when you go to God and, and, and you're all fussing with your brothers and sisters, the church, and you're jealous, and, and you're angry, and you're upset, and you want to, you know, call down fire and brimstone on pick. He says, listen, you know, God has a hard time relating to you. You wonder why your prayers aren't answered? God's not pleased with that kind of behavior. But when our focus is, is love and compassion 
and concern for one another, and we are selflessly invested. Man, the Father loves to bless. That's what He likes to do. And Jesus, in this passage, says some very interesting things. I'm going to come back to this in a moment, but He says among them, Ask, and it will be given you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. Everyone who knocks, the door is opened. Jesus says that. You say, well, it doesn't happen that way for me. Okay, let's check out and see if something's gone wrong with what's going on. Because Jesus says, if you, if you got the plan here, this is what will happen. What about this guy that goes to his neighbor in the middle of the night, his friend, in the middle of the night, and says, I've had another friend show up out of town, and I don't have anything to give him. And I'm going to ask you to give me three loaves. I, for whatever reason, I didn't catch this until I was reading this this morning, 8 o'clock service. I used to love this when God does this to me. I missed the three loaves part, you know. I know this passage so well. Do you know, does that ever happen to you? You know something so well, you think you know all the details. And I had, I knew the guy was going for bread, but I missed the three loaves. How specific is that? You know, he says, I want three loaves. He knew exactly what he wanted. Because he said, I have nothing. Now, I want to tell you a couple of stories, and then I want to relate this to you. For about 15 years, I served the community as a volunteer paramedic. And I was not ignorant of my own motivations in doing that. There are a lot of reasons why people get into wild and crazy stuff, like being police officers, being paramedics, being firefighters. There's all kind of reasons. And among all the ones that are noble, there's the things like the adrenaline rush, you know, and all those kind of things that happen when the alarms go off. But a large part of the motivation for me is my nature is kind of like rescue ranger. Okay, I like to go do something for people and see a result, and know that because I came to the rescue, something good happened. And that, that is immensely satisfying to me. It, for me personally, that satisfies a need in my psyche. I don't know how to explain it, but I like to know that I have been useful and helpful to someone who is in trouble. I don't have to hear it from them. Thank you very much. I don't have to hear that. I just have to know that what I did caused a positive effect. You know, I, I could get called out to someone. Uh, we have someone unresponsive. Please respond. We go to the scene. The person's unresponsive. And you check their blood sugar, and it's like 28. And so you start an IV, and you push some dextrose into their veins, and all of a sudden their eyes flutter and they wake up. Usually they want to take on the world for a few seconds. But, but they come around, and you know, I made a difference. I can see this right in front of my eyes. I did something, and they're better. 
You know, you get the call, a person's heart is racing, just going 9,000 miles an hour, it seems, and they're kind of in and out of consciousness, and you, you hook them up to the monitor, and they're in this incredibly rapid rhythm, and you start an IV, and you push some verapamil, and all of a sudden, that heart rate comes down, and they start feeling better, and it becomes an efficient pump again, and you look at it, I did something, and they're better. You know, you go to the accident scene, and, and, and here's this person that's, that's bleeding, and they're moaning, and they're in their car, and you check their airway, and you open that, and you check for bleeding, and you check for circulation, and, and you get good support going, and you get them extricated safely, and you get them to the hospital, and I did something, and it had an effect, and I'm glad to have been involved in that. That, that is immensely satisfying to me. For many, many years, I did, the first 15 years of my pastoral ministry, I spent a lot of time doing pastoral counseling, 20, 30 hours a week. A lot of time doing pastoral counseling. And after about 15 years and more than 10,000 hours, that was actually, I knew about on the clock, more than 10,000 hours of counseling, I largely have quit doing pastoral counseling. I do some, but I've, I've largely stopped doing all that. You know why? Because most people who walk into my office want me to do one of two things. They want me to affirm them. They want to tell me their sad tale of woe, how, how they're just being mistreated and their life is, is a wreck, and, and, but they're all right and, and their mind is on track and but the whole world is out to get them, and they want me to tell them, yes, that's true. You're, you're fine, and the whole world's going the wrong direction. They want to know that from, from an authority. The other thing they want me to do is they want me to change their circumstances. They want me to fix their spouse. They want me to fix their kids. They want me to fix their boss. They want me to solve their financial problems. They want me, they've been sowing seeds for ten years and now the harvest has come in and they want me to change the fruit. And guess what? I can't change another person's heart. And the person they want me to fix is not the one I'm looking at. And I have enough trouble with the one I'm looking at. But I can't do anything for the person that's not in the room. That is not very satisfying to me. I get very frustrated with that. I don't go away from the call and feel affirmed. I go away feeling helpless. Because I know that what is needed here is not something I can do. What is needed here is for God to get inside and bring the grace of repentance. What is needed here is for God to open eyes that are blind to the truth. What is needed here is God to heal and mend a relationship that is humanly beyond repair. What is needed here 
is a miracle. And I can't perform miracles. But I was reading this past week, and I was thinking about numerous insoluble issues. And I was reading Andrew Murray on on the subject of prayer, and God spoke to me from one of the passages about this very passage that just really touched my heart. You, You know what this guy said when he went to his neighbor's house and started pounding on the door? My friend has come to me from afar, and I have nothing to give him. I have nothing to give him. So I'm here because I know you have something. I want three loaves for my friend. Oh, I'm tired. We're already in bed. Now, God is not like that. Jesus is just painting the story. That's not the way God is. But Jesus is getting across a message here that this guy went to a friend that he knew had what he needed, and he said, I am not going to stop until I get three loaves. So you can forget about going back to sleep, I am not going to stop knocking till you get out of the bed and come give me three loaves. And Jesus said, I tell you, the friendship's not strong enough to get the guy out of the bed, but he won't quit knocking on the door. And he knows he's never going to go back to sleep if he doesn't get up and give this guy what he wants. And so Jesus says, back around a prayer, ask, Seek and knock for what? For my friend. That I don't have anything to give. But God is all powerful. God is omnipotent. He is the mighty one of the universe. He has the fountains of living water. He has the bread of life. He can do the miracles. Go bang on his door. Go ask him. Go seek him. Go knock until you get an answer. Don't go away and forget five minutes later what you even said. You don't want it very badly if you don't know what you ask. If you went to prayer meeting and you left prayer meeting and you don't know what you prayed, if you got in your devotions and you mumbled something and now it's lunchtime and you don't even know what you asked for that morning, you don't want it very badly. But here's the person, that's an amen from the back row, by the way. And here's the person who says, I'm not giving up until I get, well, I don't have what they need. And I'm not giving up until you give it to me for them. This is motivated by love for this friend. He's come to me from a journey. He's tired. He's hungry. He came to my house. Hospitality in the Middle East is, man, that is big stuff. We have a little trouble relating to this somewhat. But, but here's, the, here's these guys in the Middle East, and, and they've shown up at the house, and they don't have any food. They have nothing for them. They've been on a journey. And he says, I need something. And the guy said, I got nothing to give you. Can you feel the concern here? The frustration? I don't have anything to give you. 
I'm going to go to my neighbor's. I know he's got bread. I'm going to go to his house, and I'm going to get those loaves. And I'm not leaving now. He's I'm not leaving until I get it. Jesus said, if you will pray like this, if you will pray like this, you ask, you seek, you knock, because everyone who asks like this receives. Everyone who knocks, the door is open. Everyone who seeks, finds. What do you need that you don't have for, to give someone else. What do they need? And, and God just really lifted my burden personally and opened my eyes to see I can go to Him on behalf of those that I cannot fix. But I know who can. And I can go to God and I can shake the bars of heaven in my desperation for another person because I love them. Because I love them. I want to help them. That same desire is in me. But I don't know how to solve this problem. I don't know how to change this heart. I don't know how to fix this disaster. I can't work the miracle that provides the job or or opens up the 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 solution to the bill problem, or transforms the the wanter and aggressiveness. I, I can't fix this, but God can. And the invitation here is, come to me and ask me. The Father says, come ask me. I want to bless. And if your motivation is in compassion for another person, listen, If I can add to Jesus' story by combining it with his teaching on prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, this is in essence what he's saying. If you come to the Father and bang on heaven's door on behalf of this other person because you love them and you want God to bless them and you're concerned about their soul and their heart and their need, You want their marriage healed. You want their relationship with their kids healed. You want their job problems. You want their heart repaired. You want it healed. You want their depression lifted. And you're banging on the doors of heaven and pleading with that. The Father will say, here are the three loaves. And by the way, here's a fourth one for you. Because you said you had nothing. You take one yourself. If you come to the Father with kingdom goals as the prime motivation of your praying, Jesus says your Father knows what you need. And He will gladly bless you. His heart is delighted when your focus and passion is on the need of another person. That person could be in your family. You know? I'm praying for John on his rafting. I'm praying for him. You know, but our and our first tendency is, you know, everybody has the same. And we prayed this for Dan and Kalinda and, and Dan's trip. Our first, our first thing out of our mouth is, Lord, keep him safe. But you know what? Not everybody is kept safe. Sometimes accidents happen. Sometimes other things happen. 
Do I want, yeah, I want him safe. But I've been praying, God, make him a witness. God, give him consistency and faithfulness in his testimony. God, give him opportunity to speak into the lives of other people. God, use him for eternity. Make this time count. I want him to have fun. You know what? And sometimes we get this all confusing. Oh, I've got to be religious over here. Then again, but over here. And, and, and we don't connect the two. Our life is a seamless whole. And I think, I think on a situation like that, you ought to be having the time of your life in Jesus. Just having a ball in Jesus. And seizing the opportunities to share Jesus Christ. And so I'm praying. And I want God's blessing because I love Him. And, and I'm praying for you. When I become aware of your needs, I want God to give you what I don't have to give you. I can't fix human hearts. I might slow a physical heart down with the right medication, but I can't fix your spiritual heart. But I know someone who can. And if I come to him and plead with him, he will. If I'm focused. So God cares about our needs. He doesn't want us to neglect asking. But he is really thrilled when our total passion is to secure his blessing for someone else. That kind of intercessory praying thrills the heart of God. And Jesus' affirmation is, if you ask, he'll give you. If you seek, you'll find it. If you knock, the door will be opened. I want to challenge you this week as you go out of here. I want to challenge your prayer life. How much love is in your heart for the people in your lives? How much love is there? A good gauge is by how fervently you pray for them. Because the only real power you can bring to bear in their life is the power of God. So how much time are you spending in prayer for another person to secure the blessing of God? Do you realize that you have nothing to give? Are you still busy laboring trying to shore them up, you know, with this help and that? You don't have anything to give them that will really transform them. We need to realize that we are broke. I'm talking about materially, financially, spiritually. We're bankrupt. We do, I have nothing to give my friend. I have nothing. The first real step to desperation is recognizing your poverty. I have no power. But, oh God, you have power. I want you to do something here. And I was encouraged as I meditated on that. And I want you to be, if you will pray, like that, for someone else, God will answer. 
I'm putting him on the spot, but I didn't say it. Jesus said it. If you pray like that for someone else, God will answer. And don't give up until you see that answer. It's not that God's deaf. It's not that he didn't hear you the first time. It's not you have to beg him. But sometimes in the process of pleading and praying, as you're, as you're loving and pouring out your compassion in desperation, God begins to refine and perfect your praying until everybody's on the same page. But you ask and God will bless you and give you for that other person. And I want to encourage you this week to pray like that. If you take your study guide back, you can keep a little journal of, you know, every day. What God, just, just a little word or two. This is what God put on my heart today. Who are you praying for? I got people I'm praying for. I got people I'm praying for. Some of you in the room this morning, I'm praying for you. You've told me what your needs are. I'm praying for you. I don't have the loaves, but I know who does. And I'm asking God to meet you. And He is able. And the best way I can love you is to intercede. Go to the Father and pray. Father, make us loving prayer warriors. Make us loving intercessors. Give us the faith to believe that when we are empty of solutions, you have an unlimited supply of help. And in Jesus' name, motivate us to come to the source of all blessing and secure the loaves for our friend who has come to us and we have nothing to give them. Don't let us turn them away, Lord. Don't let us say, depart, be warmed and filled. Don't let us let them go. Teach us to come to you on their behalf until they have what they need. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.